0: So um, we got a small crowd today, which is, uh, um, I don't know if I'm trying to will myself into this or not, but, but in, in reality, this is my favorite. I love small groups. Um, I feel like each time uh, I get to have an intimate, a more intimate discussion with people, um, I walk away a little bit more enriched than when I have a, more people here, and it tends to be a talking at people. So um, looking forward to having a discussion today about um, let's go um, I start off want to talk a little bit about baptism and Eucharist um, I'm actually going to just talk about Eucharist but the reason I mentioned baptism is that these are the two uh, these are two key um, practices uh, throughout the global Christian community. They both have these interesting aspects to them. They're ceremonial. Um, They have massive traditions around them, and not all the traditions line up with each other. Um, They're very, very tangible. These are things um, that involve us touching um, and tasting in some cases and so on and so forth. Um, And they're also all-inclusive. They're things that we want the entire community to be involved with. In the case of baptism... While in general that's a one-time event for an individual, it's certainly a community celebration. In terms of the Eucharist um, or communion, this tends to be a community thing. And we are going to uh, take communion here in a few minutes. Um, So before I dive in, let's pray. And then uh, then let's just kind of open this up for a chat. We're going to take communion at the end. I told the kids upstairs to be ready to be let out at noon today since we're a little light. Uh, and I think we can get through this a little quicker. So um, that's what we'll do. Um, let's pray. God, as we, uh, as we think about communion, as we think about this bread and this uh, juice and wine, and we open this up for discussion, God, we ask that this will be a holy discussion and one that brings you joy and one that brings us close to you. We ask that this will be a life-changing discussion where uh, from now on, as we take communion, as we think about communion, that maybe we'll think about it in a, uh, in a better way, in a more holy way, um, and that maybe it'll carry more meaning than it did before today's discussion. Uh, we ask that the truths, these deep truths that uh, seem to be hidden throughout your word, that some of those will be revealed today and people will be able to look at things uh, differently and then I'll be able to look at things differently. And we ask that your words will be uh, spoken through each of us as we share. Um, and we ask that ultimately uh, this will be a day that is pleasing to you and brings you joy. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. All right. And I can see that my thing is messed up here. So give me just a second because I have notes that you can't see and I can and for some reason, those are not showing up for me. There's my notes. And you don't see them. Perfect. The perfect secret. So um, so this idea of communion, um, these are the most common terms that I've used that are, and they all mean the same thing. So you've got the Eucharist, you've got Holy Communion, you've got the Lord's Supper, uh, you've got Mass in the Catholic Church. Well, in some other churches as well, they call it Mass, I believe. Um, How many of you guys have been a part of a body that has done communion on a... Man, you got moved to the third row back. Um, How many of you have been a part of a Christian community that celebrated communion on some regular basis throughout your life? So several of you have, yeah. Um, The uh, I want to ask you about frequency, about how often you celebrated communion throughout your life. Is it something that your church did on on some fixed, regular basis, or is it something that happened rather randomly? Where are you guys at? So every Sunday in Ohio. So the Ohioans was that uh, like a Christian church, maybe? Church? In the, okay. Okay, so it's a New Star Community Christian Ohio thing. Okay. Monthly. The Michigan Baptists did it monthly. Now, see, I, I don't know much of. Well, I know a little bit about the Baptist faith, but for some reason, I uh, I thought that they were weekly. So, but not so. At least not in Michigan. Okay, so it wasn't even every monthly. <sighs> Indiana Baptists. All right. Yes. Every Sunday. Right. And you made a line. And someone is up there handing you out the little cracker thing. Okay, so yeah, uh, I want to tell you a few stories here, and then I want to get back into the traditions that, that each of us have had, and talk a little bit around these traditions as to, for example, um, in the Catholic Church, at least some, and I suspect all, they are what I would call a one-cup church. There, there's one cup that everyone drinks from, right? Right? One-cuppers, okay? So, um, But it's not just the Catholic Church that does that, I can tell you. So, um, so a couple of stories I wanted to share with you about communion and and the impact it has on a community. So recently um, someone was visiting here um, and it was, and and they're from the same background as I was. So I, there was a, a little bit of a bond there because they are from the non instrumental church background. And it was interesting that they had all the same questions that, that I would have had at their age coming out of that background. And one of their key things was, are you taking communion every week at this church? It's a big deal for them. And the interesting thing about it is how communion um, is this holy uniting thing, but we can turn it into something that separates. Um, And even the people that are choosing to separate um, feel that it's such an important thing that if it's not done the right way, it's worth separating over. So it's an interesting, very uh, hot topic among the churches. Uh, My parents, when they heard that we were doing this completely crazy living room thing. Um, I think, I do believe my dad's first question to me was, will you be taking communion every week? Because that's the background we're out of. And to him, it's well beyond good practice. It, it was falling into a sin category, like you either take it every week or you're, or you're sinning by not doing that. Um, so, hot, hot topic. Um, For me personally, I think one of the parts that has made communion um, challenging over the years for me is that my opinion over the the purpose of communion has changed. And so what I wrote down here is that my my personal yearning is for what I would call a relaxed communion, a, a time that I can spend a length of time, me and me with God, taking these elements, this bread and this juice and whatever form they show up in, um, and have this very kind of, you know, it sounds a little creepy to say it this way, but an intimate type of time with God. It's something that I really crave. And what I find, Herbert, were you the one that said the reason they don't do it more often than that is because it, it loses its, its special nature? I, I get that because the church I grew up in, it became so... Uh, regimented, if that's the right word, that it was—it was a challenge to get excited because it was like, chuk, 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 and this plate comes by and you break a thing off, and this cup comes by, and I don't remember how whether we all did it together or if we did. I think we did it as it came by. I can't remember now. You took it, and uh, but it was just so structured and so blocky that I couldn't connect with God. I didn't have enough time to connect with God, and so I find for myself. Um, that I really yearn for that. So now what I want to open this up a little bit to discuss is what are some key elements, when you think back, what are some, some of these thou shalt nots or thou, thou shalls that your background has for communion as to what was a must-do in this ceremony or a must-not-do in this ceremony? So you mentioned one, it's so that you didn't get to take communion unless you had went through First Communion. Okay. It was a class, you say? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. What about others? What kinds of special things surrounded this when you took it? Right. Yeah, it's very similar to that. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, in the church I grew up in. um, It was kind of interesting that most churches wouldn't legalize this to the point to try to, you know, to really try to police it. They will tend to say it and they sort of let it go um but the church i grew up in not only did they really want you baptized they really wanted you baptized in a non-instrumental church of christ you know they really wanted you to be that community um uh, but again they didn't police it they just sort of said it and then whatever happened happened and then you know a lot of that it wasn't necessarily adhered to so what about others yes And I think in the Catholic Church it has to be served by uh, the priest or one of the second-in-command. So. <laughs> All So, right, Ben. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I think that's called transubstantiation. Does that sound right? And um, and that's this idea that this juice or the wine that you're using to represent um, that aspect of communion, which we'll get into in a second, um, but that it actually transforms into Christ's blood. Um, and so, um, and you looked at me kind of crazy right then. Yeah because I think that, that what Ben's talking about I think that that's pretty common I think I mean I think that's universally common in the Catholic Church that it is it has been transformed to the blood can you Yeah Um So why is it such a big deal? Let's keep going with this. Um, I had some notes here I wanted to pull up. Um, What other kind of uh, traditions or ceremonial type things were involved with your communion? Anybody else? I wrote down here um, a little country church that was also a non-instrumental church that was close by my non-instrumental little country church. The big difference was that one was a one cup and one was not a one cup. And so um, one of the churches, and that was the dividing factor between these two groups of Christians is that one group of Christians used little tiny cups that they drank the communion from, and the other group used a single cup that everybody drank from. So one cup versus the other. Um, Unleavened bread. Um, Much more common that most communion services are unleavened bread, but over the last few years you've seen that kind of come and go a little bit. Um, But that was always a big, big deal to my parents, was that the bread not have leavening in it. Um, um, The frequency is a big deal. The sin of it not happening. Um, Another interesting thing that happened in our family was that communion was so important to do it every week that if we went on vacation and we knew that we were going to be missing potentially missing a Sunday service, or we thought we might be in an area where we might have trouble finding a non-instrumental church, which can be a little tricky. Um, we would bring communion with us. And so we, I can remember in hotel rooms, like we wouldn't do anything else that day. We wouldn't, I don't even know if, if we would pray. Um, we certainly wouldn't sing. We certainly wouldn't share a Bible study or anything. Didn't have time for that, but w- <laughs> we certainly would not even consider playing an instrument like a guitar. Um, but uh, but we would do communion, you know, and um, and, and it's it's uh, I look back at it and I didn't like the legalism of it, but I like the consistency of it. Yeah. So um, any other thoughts? Why is it such a big deal? And have you seen it be such a big deal? yeah exactly. And that's what I was saying is that for me, um, I'm finding part of the reason why when that couple was here and they asked us if we did it weekly, it's kind of funny because I, I responded to them that if I were the Czar uh, Czar is that right? Anyway, if I were yeah the CZAR, the Czar of this place, I mean I, I would actually rather have communion every week. I really really like having communion but I'd also like to make it into a really big deal every week. And I found over time, because I, I don't want us to just do it out of legalism because that loses itself as well. Um, and so, um, I've really backed off and allowed the community to kind of have communion as it felt right. Um, and not tried to, uh, legislate that too much. Um, but, uh, you know, if it were up to me, we, we would probably do it a little more often and take a little more time because that's my deep passion. um, but uh, that's not where we're at today. So um, so what is communion? In a nutshell, it's it's eating some sort of bread and it's drinking some sort of fruit of the vine was a common term that was used. But it's drinking, it's usually thought of as being grape juice based. So at its most like simple form, it is bread and it is fruit of the vine. Um, But again, we can have all kinds of of discussions around um, the kind of bread and the kind of fruit of the vine. But let's just talk about why bread? Why are we eating this bread? What's the point of this celebration? I I, I know a lot of you know, so you can just speak up. Okay. So... It's an interesting thing. So, so let, let's simplify it even more. They, they happen to be eating bread anyways. Okay. But um, so this, let me just see if I've got it up on the next slide here. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and dive into this. I know it's an enormous number of words on that screen, but I'm going to read it. So this is Jesus in Luke 22 um, talking about, uh, this is like a Thursday night before he is crucified the next day. And they're celebrating this Passover meal, okay? And here's what he says. This is, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles were sitting at the table, and he said to them, I wanted very much to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. I will not eat another Passover meal until it is given its true meaning in the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's getting a little mysterious on him here. He says, Then Jesus took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this cup and share it among yourselves. Um, most likely this cup was full of wine. It says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the King God's kingdom comes. Then Jesus took some bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the apostles saying, This is my body which I am giving for you. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you guys had a communion table that said something like that on the front? In remembrance of me, I think. There was four words typically on them. Yeah, okay. So this is where this is coming from. So this is my body which I am giving for you. Do this in remembrance of do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, "This cup is the new agreement that God makes with His people. This new agreement begins with my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay, so we've got this bread we're taking, which somehow or another is supposed to connect us to Christ's body, to His flesh. And we've got this juice or this cup or this wine we're drinking, which is somehow or another supposed to connect us to the uh, blood that is ultimately going to be poured out in the coming day. Um, He's going to be crucified on a cross and there's going to be bleeding on that cross. Um, So why is this so important? Why is he making a big deal out of this? What do you guys think? Why is he saying, I want you guys to remember me with these two symbols? Think back to what I said at the very beginning when I said we're going to talk about Eucharist and baptism. These are both kind of tangible things. Why is he setting this up? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for me, it all goes back to how imperfect we are and with our struggles. Um, You'll talk in the business world about a lot of things that go on to help us remember things. Um, uh, In the business world, I speak about that because that's what I'm more familiar with. If something is not getting done, the number of meetings increases. You guys have that happen at Cummins? Is that a big like? If something starts becoming a problem, almost always the the, the default reaction is daily meeting, because they don't want people to forget. They want that. They want this on the front of their mind routinely, so they know. You know, every day there's a meeting coming up in a few hours, and I've got a certain number of tasks I have to get done. It's easy for us to forget, and while we ought to be able to just remember this, turning it into a ritual, into a ceremony, into something that's tangible, something you eat, something you touch, um, is a really effective way for remembering this. Um, I think about Little League Baseball for me. Um, and the difference between we won the championship when I was 11 years old, and so you know, I remember this very clearly because it was a huge deal to me. But the difference between winning the championship and being able to say, we won the championship and winning the championship and they gave me a trophy. Does anybody like trophies? Okay, even if you deny it, you, you lie. You've never got, oh, that is sad. My goodness, we need to have some sort of Olympics here so we can give you a trophy. Yeah, so uh, what about a certificate? Why do we give out certificates? It it used to drive me crazy because I was like, oh, stupid piece of paper. Why are you giving out certificates? But I've realized over time that, no, it's tangible. It's something you've got. It's something you can hold. Um, I remember uh, one time watching a coworker who had worked really hard and had gone through some some, uh, training classes at work. And so he had these certificates, which I thought were just really goofy Truthfully, I was like, why would you even care about this certificate? But they had them all neatly displayed on their cube wall at work because it had meaning. It, was, it represented something, and it helped to drive home a point that they have value. Well, I think it's the same way with communion. Uh, this idea that we would maybe get together and pray and thank God uh, for coming to earth in the form of Jesus and die on the cross is one thing. But it's a whole nother thing to eat this food, to take some bread, to take some juice. And to turn that into a tangible ceremony that really, really sticks. Okay. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, this is Paul writing. Uh, I just want to drive home again. a sort of a slightly different version of this story. He says, the teaching I gave you is the same teaching I received from the Lord. On the night when Lord Jesus was handed over to be killed, he took bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke the bread and said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after they ate, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new agreement that is sealed with the blood of my death. When you drink this, do it to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are telling others about the Lord's death until he comes. So he says, you know, it's not only you, but it's also an example to others. It's making a big deal. It's the Catholic Church, uh, and, and one of their arguments would be they want everyone in the room to see these people that have gone through first communion to see what they're doing to be aware of it, so they know it's a big deal. But we don't want you to do it unless you're a believer. So they're they're actually using that separation to drive a point with it. Okay, you know, is it really wrong to drink something? Some people would say yes, um, but it certainly drives home the point in a unique way. Um, but I want to carry this a little further because for years and years and years, one of the challenges was to me was that that's where the story stopped. I didn't really understand what Passover was. I didn't really know why that happened. I thought it was just kind of convenient. It's like, well, unleavened bread, when I used to eat it, kind of reminded me a little bit of skin, a little bit. I mean, not really, but kind of. And certainly juice kind of reminded me of blood. So I thought, I mean, that's the end of the story. Um, But if we go back a little bit earlier in John, this is John 6. Check out these words from Jesus. This is, uh, um, I don't know how long this is before he died, but it's... uh, I think months, um, if not maybe even a year or two. So Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Moses is way back there. So he's kind of reaching back in history a little bit. Tell you the truth, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It's like, oh, bread, okay, we're talking about bread here. It is my Father who is giving you the true bread from heaven. God's bread is the one... And when it's capitalized like that, that's referring to Jesus himself. It says, God's bread is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people said, sir, give us this bread always. Then Jesus said, I am the bread that gives life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So we start to realize that this communion thing is, is a little bit bigger than Jesus just happened to be munching on some wheat thins. And, and there was a little bit of wine hanging around. And he said, ah, these, these are kind of representative. Let's go with this. No, this is much, much bigger than this. This idea of Jesus being represented by bread. Um, and that this idea that bread represents life, it represents sustenance, it represents what keeps you going, and that Jesus is the ultimate bread, now you start to realize this communion thing is a lot more than just a convenient thing that you can do. It actually should be much deeper. In us. It, it should be, when we eat the bread, we're thinking, this, this is life, and this is what Jesus will give to us. Try to get that into our minds. Now, to understand how Jesus does that for us. If you're not, we probably have some of you here that are uh, either non-believers or at least uh, fairly new. Um, You know, that's, that's a lifelong learning lesson to figure out how Jesus becomes this bread and gives us life. Um, But this is creating that foundation for that. Oh, I think I've got one more here. Um, No, I want to skip that one. That's okay. All right. So why bread and wine? We just went into that. Um, in terms of Jesus chose this, it was at the Passover feast. We're now seeing that bread somehow or another represents his body. He was referred to as, as uh, being as as being the bread from God, in a sense. Um, but I want us to go a little bit further back than that. So what in the world is Passover? Now a large chunk of you may have a real grasp on this, but I want you to know for years I did not. And so for those of you who don't have a grasp as to what Passover is, don't feel bad about that. Um, I am proof that you can be in the church for many, many years and not understand that. So what is Passover? Anybody have any idea? It's a feast that was going on at that time, but what was the original Passover? Passover. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. And it wasn't just any lamb's blood. It had to be a, I can't remember how it was worded, but it, it was a lamb with no imperfections. It was supposed to be this very, very perfect lamb that they were to sacrifice, take the blood from that lamb, rub that on their doorpost. And then that would signify that they were a God follower. And so this 10th plague, you guys, if you remember the plagues, this was number 10. So there were frogs and gnats, I think, or I don't know, boils and all kinds of weird things going on uh, while um, they were trying to get the Egyptians to release the Israelites. But this 10th one was this. Now, do you think this, um, this angel of the Lord that came down and ultimately the firstborn of all the Egyptians was killed do you think that god could not figure out who were his followers who were and were not his followers and he needed the blood on the door to figure it out i say i'm going to argue no he didn't So why blood on the door? Again, it's all about this symbolism. It's actually making things tangible. God kind of knows what's going on in the future, already realizing it's going to be really, really important to have a ceremony-esque thing happen here. So you're going to kill this lamb. And what's Jesus often referred to as? The Lamb of God, right? So you start seeing that going back all the way to the time of the Israelites being... uh, um, and captive by the um, Egyptians, this whole story is being set up. Okay, so we're thinking about communion as you think about it. It's taking us all the way back to that time. Um, the other thing that happened, and so you're thinking, okay, so we're now figuring out this idea that Jesus is the lamb. Blood put on the doorpost, saved them. Okay, this is kind of making sense. So they have a Passover feast where they drink wine to remember the blood because they were passed over, because they put blood on their door, all right? So where is this crazy unleavened bread come from? Well, the unleavened bread has to do with once the killing of the Egyptian children happened, 10th plague, and they were released so that the Israelites could leave They needed to leave right now, I mean, there was no messing around. Now, I am certainly not a scholar on this, but my understanding is that when they would make bread, this was something I just read, maybe even this morning, um, that they would go collect yeast growing on grapes, of all things. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They would collect yeast off of grapes and get that into their bread. Then the yeast would grow, then... Carbon dioxide, I think, comes off of the yeast, and that's what makes the bread puff up, and now you've got leavening. And so God instructed them, there's no time for that. I don't want you getting any yeast. I want you to make your bread, make it without leavening. It's going to be flat. It's not going to be this nice Panera bread like you want. Um, And you're going to cook that bread up and take it with you. Some people even argue that they may very well have just taken the flour and water, which is one way to make it, made it into flat sheets and then laid it on top of whatever they were carrying and then let the sun just kind of dry it out. That may very well have been as complicated as it was so they could get out of there. So you see there's this Passover feast where for the Egyptians to leave they needed to have food. They needed something to keep them alive and that became unleavened bread in their case. Also to escape they needed some release from God and that required the killing of perfect lambs and the putting on of the blood over the doorpost. So they were saved by the blood. Is that a phrase that's a little bit familiar? So you're saved by the blood, and then you're getting your sustenance or getting your your energy, your life from this bread. And so then that led into all these years and years and years of this massive annual feast, Passover feast, to celebrate this. And the, and two of the main things that, there were a lot of things that happened in the Passover feast, but two of the things that happened were remembering the blood with some juice and remembering this um, bread by eating an unleavened bread. So you can now begin to see why, for some people, the idea, for my parents, they would say, the idea that it's a, a true requirement that it be unleavened bread is really, really, really important. Okay. It's not something I get hung up on. For me, the important part is that we are doing a bread and a juice of some sort to represent those two. And I'm not going to get too wound up myself about that, but I can completely understand someone that does get hung up with that. Um, So are you with me? Does that kind of make sense? Okay. All right. So how often should we do it? Now, this is a good question. Eric. Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. The um, And by the way, I'm talking about this today because we're in this time of Lent, um, and so we're getting close to the Passover feast time. And so that's why I thought it was appropriate to, uh, to do a little background on uh, communion, since I had a chance to do that. I might do baptism the next time I talk. We'll see. Um, but... What's interesting is that once you get enlightened on this topic and you start thinking about all these connections, you will be amazed how many places you see it, You know how, how often you start to see these connections between the bread and the blood and the, and the lamb and so on and so forth. Uh, it's really quite amazing. And, um, and like I said, it's amazing to me that I lived all these years, uh, or I lived many years as a young Christian not knowing this, when we talk about how often should we do it, w- one real easy one is you ought to be doing it at least once a year, because that's how often the Passover feast was. Um, and so I would say the best argument is you should, should certainly be doing communion <laughs> at a minimum of annually. Um, but here's an interesting uh, verse here out of 1 uh, Corinthians. Um, let's see, make sure this is right. Oh, this is not it. Ah! There we go. Um, this is written in Acts. It says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, uh, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, the point of this verse is, is nothing to do with how often you should have communion. But this is a common verse, uh, one commonplace where um, people have said, hey, this is an example. They came together on the first day of the week. It wasn't Passover. It was probably uh, some sort of weekly gathering of Christians, maybe very similar to us gathering here at a weekly, and they were coming together with a one singular focus as their primary reason for being together, which is to break bread. So there, there is arguably some precedent um, that people were doing it uh, weekly. Um, there are some folks that like to break bread multiple times a week. Um, I know the men's confession. Do you guys break bread each time you get together? Yeah, so we've got the guys that meet here on Wednesday. They, they would uh, do it weekly at, at that uh, gathering, which is completely awesome. Um, is it clear and well-defined when we should take communion? answer it's really not. I remember watching my mom and her sister argue about this one time, because again, my church was like, you have to do it every week. And my sister-in-law, my mom's sister, my aunt, said, um, no, we, we do it monthly. They were Lutheran, I think. No, I don't know what they were. Methodist, that's what they were. She said, we do it monthly. And um, anyways, and my mom said, well, that's a sin because it says clearly in the Bible that you have to do it every week. And my aunt says, I don't think it does. And my mom said, well, I'll, I'll show you. And I remember my mom about four hours later coming back in and saying, I... I thought it was in there, but I can't find it. So it's not clear. So Okay. So what's really important and I, I listened to a Greg Boyd talk. Um, I'm still listening to Greg Boyd a lot. Um, I'll get tired of him at some point and switch. Um, but one of the things that is most critically important, and I believe it's it's what I want to get into communion now. We're going to take a few minutes here and then um, have you guys go up and get the kids is this idea that it does become a true communion. When you guys are talking about communing with people, it's this idea of eating together, celebrating together, spending time together. If we fall into the trap that we're simply taking it because we're supposed to take it, and we dip it, and we crunch it, and we say, yep, that's Christ's body, that's Christ's blood, check that box, let's go to uh, Domino's, or where are we going to go eat? Um, I think you're missing it. The idea is that God, from the very beginning, and I wanted to talk more about this, but I just was going to take too much time. But from the very beginning, God has been reeling us in. He wants us to spend more and more time with him. So when he sets up some commandment like this about remembering to do this, it is all about coming closer to him, spending time with him, getting to know him better, communing with him. So I love the term communion because I think it's it's the term we understand well. Um, And so for me personally, you can disagree with me, what's really important, what's really important is that we take some time and we commune with God and we talk to God and we pray to God. So I'm going to pray. What we've got today is we've got some, um, uh, um, the crackers that have no wheat, gluten-free. Thank you. We have some gluten-free crackers in case that's an issue for you. You don't have to worry about that. We've got some juice in the big cup there. Um, and so you can simply take a uh, a piece of the uh, cracker or a, a whole cracker, and you can dip it in the blood. And then we're going to turn some music on. And I recommend you take go just take a few minutes, at least take a couple of minutes to be quiet. Um, you can eat it quickly if you want. You can go take it with you and and eat it as you think about it. Um, but take a few minutes to commune. Um, and then uh, the kiddos are going It's about two till, so the kiddos you could go get them at any time once you're ready. So. Let's pray. God, help us so that um, we take this time and make it special for you. Help us to take Jesus' direction seriously. and Help us to take every opportunity we can to get close to you. Help us to make this event special no matter what. Help us to not let it become just a ceremony that we uh, feel some obligatory requirement to do. Um, and, we, and we get it done and we move on. Help us to, to really believe in it and to really spend time in it and to make it what you uh, intended it to be. Help us to stay focused with you and everything we do and help us so that your bread, the bread of life, that Jesus will guide us in everything and that we will find fulfillment through him and not through our own desires and things that we do. And help us to never forget the sacrifice. And remember that it's that exact same kind of sacrifice that we need to be willing to do every day that will ultimately be the most beautiful life we can live. It's through Christ we pray.